welcome to the Healthcare IT Today interview series. We feel lucky to be able to talk to so many smart, passionate, and knowledgeable people in healthcare. Now, we're taking our favorite interviews and sharing them with you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy perspectives on the world of health IT. Hi, everyone. I'm John Lynn, the founder and chief editor at Healthcare IT Today. We're excited to bring you another in our series of interviews with top leaders in health IT. And today's guest is Brigham Heidi. He's CEO of Atropos Health. Welcome, Brigham. Thanks for having me. Yeah, excited for this discussion. I think you're riding this wave of AI that's happening in healthcare right now. But before we dive into some of that, tell us a little bit about yourself and Atropos Health. Sure thing. Uh, CEO, co-founder at Atropos Health. I've spin the business out of Stanford University with my co-founders, Nigam Shah and Dr. Saul Gumbar, who's our chief medical officer. Uh, idea of the company is somewhat simple. Uh, let's provide personalized evidence at the point of care, do it rapidly and base it on uh, millions of patients that look like you, uh, filling what we call the evidence gap. And uh, we built the technology and solution to solve that and have been in market for the last two years, uh, with some great partners and some recent announcements and more to come. Um, I have a background in health tech and health data. I've uh, founded and led businesses such as Concert AI and the Oncology Robot Data Space, Eversana, where I was president of data and analytics and chief data officer at Decision Resources Group. Um, and uh, once upon a time, PhD by training. So started as a clinical and bench researcher, uh, but felt that health data was going to be the secret to this next wave. And I've been building businesses in this space for the last 15 years as entrepreneur, operator, investor, whatever's needed. Yeah, and I think you all have a, a really interesting model and approach to be able to give the data to the clinician in, in a really interesting way. And I think we definitely want to show people what that looks like. So we'll flash that up. But give us an idea. What's the workflow look like for someone that's using Atropos Health? Yeah, sure thing. So the way our service is oriented is that a clinician uh, or researcher from uh their, their practice, just their day-to-day -day environment, either within their EMR or within our app, or frankly, just through a few lines of text and send us a question. Uh, we receive that question um, and we'll put it in our technology and turn around a full boat observational research study done on de-identified patient records. And we do that today in about a day. Uh, it gets delivered back as an e-consult so they get to talk to a peer on the other side and explain the results and uh, the findings and help them factor that into care decision makings or enhance uh, research output. And is the output always a PDF or what, what, you know, are you inserting the EHR? What's the kind of approach you're taking there to give them that data? Yeah, there's some days as a technology CEO when I get to talk about our great tech product that is a PDF. But, uh, <laughs> and, you know, we, we designed it uh, to sort of echo uh, the way uh, people are used to consuming things like lab reports um, mm -hmm. with really concise summaries at the top detailed statistics uh, and methods throughout. So very transparent with how we use it. And we deliver it that way. We also have the ability to consume it through our portal. And there's more sort of dynamic visualizations. Uh, there's data you can download and aggregate and stuff like that. Uh, but, you know, sometimes it needs to be appended to the patient record, um, in particular in cases of reimbursement, where a physician can actually be reimbursed for ordering this service um, and spending the time reviewing the information. And that becomes part of the documentation system of healthcare. So that, that's one of the reasons. But our, our whole goal is to make it understandable, consumable, you know, empower physicians with this evidence that's likely lacking from uh, the published literature or clinical trials or guidelines and uh, be able to make a great decision for the patient in front of them. 
Yeah. Well, I think sometimes people overthink it too, right? It's it's what's in and what's it's the work to get what's in the PDF that really matters. And it, it reminds me, you know, I think it was probably 15 years ago I had a guy write for me and he wrote that he thought that the body of medical knowledge was too complex for the human mind to fully comprehend. And it's just getting worse. Yeah, you know, 15 years later, imagine how much more. It's to me, it sounds like you're solving that problem. Is that fair? Yeah, that's that's part of it. And, you know, I think there's two sides to his comment. One, it's already too complicated, number one. And two, I would actually argue it's not complicated enough, right? I mean, if you think about patients that are represented in clinical trials, you know, over 70% of treatable patients are excluded systematically from trials. People who have comorbid disease or are in certain demographic groups or rare disease groups, women, children, elderly, they're just not in the trials. So the situation is, even with, even if you understood all the trials and memorized all of those, those don't contain most of the patients you're going to see. And so physicians have to extrapolate from best evidence. I also think his point is about user experience. Um, and that's something we are obsessive about. I mean, we want it to be very low friction, you know, just type a couple of sentences. I, I keep getting in chat GPT conversations and I have to talk about that with you. But the user experience part is right. I mean, people want a conversational loop that feels like they're talking to a peer and they want easily summarized information on the back end that's personalized, right, to this patient, to whatever question they're asking. So I think user experience is critical, but I also think let's not forget, you know, we are missing evidence for a lot of care decisions. And that's something that uh, we think we can help with. That's a great point. I mean, I, I think a lot of people that get into healthcare think that all of it is just finalized research, <laughs> but there's a lot of things where we haven't researched it fully and, and we're not sure, right? Uh, doctors have to make educated uh, decisions, but you know, you brought it up. So let, let's talk about it. How does the solution compare to something like ChatGPT? I thought it was interesting. You said, send a few sentences that feels like ChatGPT, but give us the comparison. Yeah, our, our input, right? is exactly the same as interfacing with ChatGPT. Again, you're writing a couple of sentences. And I, I like to think, um, we think about output in a similar way, which is you want summarized, contextualized answers that are easy to consume, and then ideally cited by data evidence transparently. Now, I don't know if ChatGPT is doing that that well yet, but you know, for us, user experience is similar. And I, I think it's important to recognize with this wave of ChatGPT and, and what we've seen, it's the fastest growing website of all time, right? And what that's telling me is that whether you're a physician, you're a patient, you're a consumer, anything, the, the sort of standard on user experience has just moved, right? We used to be okay with search and a bunch of links and we'll <laughs> sort it out afterwards. Now, you know, people want that context. So we think we're right on, on brand with that. I think the second part of ChatGPT that, you know, gets sort of a lot of hype is, okay, well, could you ask GPT, ChatGPT to diagnose a patient? Could you um, help them determine a tree or could it help you determine a treatment? Um, and I'd say at a fundamental level, it's important to understand the analytical technique here. So large language models, LLMs, which are backing uh, most of what you're seeing out of ChatGPT, uh, really fantastic at sort of sorting through uh, published literature, text, popular literature, the, the content of the internet, if you will. Um, but the models themselves work on sort of what's most commonly being said and to way oversimplify a complicated thing. Sure. Um, and we're sort of saying, again, how could ChatGPT be right about medical questions if there's not evidence in the published literature for most of the patients? 
Like, it's just like, it's not the model's fault. It just doesn't have anything to train on. Right. Sure. Um, and, you know, our belief is that, you know, we can actually produce, um, you know, the information needed for training. And there's some collaborations we have underway to actually do that, feed these LLMs, you know, with some of the content we create. The last little bit that um, is a development area for us, and I think something that is super exciting is the idea of um, what about chat to database? So what do I mean by that? Um, you know, when I use ChatGPT4 or something, again, I'm using the corpus of the internet to, to bring the answer back. But what if, you know, you ask a question like, what was the infection rate of COVID last month? You know, your ChatGPT4 is going to go out and look at press releases and what's been written in the literature, discussed in forums, come up with that consensus answer. But what if you could ask that question and it would query the CDC database and produce a statistically backed answer transparently showing you what data they got it from, how it was calculated, the methods. And that's an area we are really excited about because if you think about what our tech does today, well, we keep a human in the loop for a number of reasons, partly user experience, partly oversight. You know, we're able to uh, translate those text-based questions quickly into code and that code queries databases. So we're thinking about how do you automate maybe that last step and then it could be completely automated. You could talk to databases, which I think is, you know, if you just think about how stats and figures are thrown around in the, the public narrative, I'd much rather get a data-driven answer, you know, personalized with transparency on what's being used. And uh, that that's a big development area for less. The last thing I'll say about this, um, we actually, uh, you, you may have seen that uh, chat GPT-3 uh, passed the USMLE exam, mm -hmm. um, the medical licensing exam. Yep. Um, and that's, by the way, a good use. Like there's lots of textbooks out there and <laughs> should be able to train on textbooks and do that. Um, you know, we're actually running a, an experiment. My co-founder, Nigam Shah at Stanford, is actually running a comparison uh, of questions that Atropo and the green button service that we have have received from the point of care. And let's ask what ChatGPT would have said. And then let's compare <laughs> the answer that they gave versus the data-driven answer that we gave and determine when they agree, when they don't. What does that mean? You know, is it making things up? Is it willing to say, hey, there's, you know, it's by, by the way, some of the findings, it's early, but, you know, it seems to say, well, hey, there's not enough evidence for this question, to which we say, well, yeah, there could be if you used our service, right? So, you know, that's a great ad for sort of what I've been saying on the content side. So we're paying close attention. I think we've got a role to play. I also think you just got to understand, you know, where, where it's solving good problems and where it's maybe creating some others. There's so much to chew on in what you said. I want to start first with the interface, right? So one thing yeah. I learned about ChatGPT is that, you know, like you said, it doesn't have references unless you know to ask for them, right? So, you know, if I say, you know, what's the, what are the three treatment plans for acne? It will give you those three treatment plans, right? But if you say, yep. and please provide references, then it will, right? And then you have the references to go look at them. And so it, it's interesting, ChatGPT, we need to learn how to ask the right questions. Is the same true for Atrobo's Health that they need to know how to ask the right questions or provide you with the right data in the questions for you to provide the right answers? Or it, because you have humans in the loop, that's not as important. Give me an idea, like, do I sure. need to learn to ask you the right questions is, I guess, kind of the core thing. Yeah. And, and you know, the hardcore science behind what we do is 
really drilled out in the, the domain of observational research, right? And there are such things as good experimental design. You know, we, we leverage a backbone of a format called PICO, which mm -hmm. is population intervention control outcome and time frame. You need to have all five of those things when you're designing a question to really know that you're asking it uh, appropriately. Also, you know, part of the reason we have the human loop, part of the reason we run it as an e-consult is that, yeah, you got to educate people a little bit on asking a good question. And, you know, that user experience people also love. Like if you, you ask a question of us to come back, like, hey, did you mean this patient subgroup or this patient subgroup? And, okay, is this time frame really appropriate? Like we're able to provide that feedback uh, and people love that dynamic. I, I have found that as users get used to it, so as they reorder and reorder, they become really good at it. So gotcha. I do think there there's some self-training that happens. I think you see that on ChatGPT as well. Yep. Um, but you know, just think about medical school training. One of our hopes for this is this becomes a standard part of medical training because you should have your medical students to come out, know how to ask good questions, good research questions, good questions of data, understand bias and all those things. And we think we've got a great tool for that fact that Stanford, they've mandated that their resident and fellow programs uh, order at least one study from us uh, as a way to sort of learn about informatics and, and uh, interfacing with data. Nice. No, I feel the same way. I want my kids to learn chat GPT, uh, you know, rather than learning writing. You know, there's a, there's a balance for sure, but uh, yeah. it's, it's a similar kind of concept. That's interesting. Uh, you know, let's talk about the data you talked about. Even So what happens, yeah. you know, when ChatGPT can't find the data, you know, are you able to find the data in other sources or are you able to, you know, you talked about producing the data, which is even more interesting. Talk about that. Like what, what happens when you go and this, the, the jury's out on whatever data question that they are asking? Yeah, sure. So just on the data side, the way that we work, we, uh, when we go to your institution and we, we started with academic medical centers and moved now into large health systems, also through a partnership with ASCO Cancer Link, we're moving into community oncology. But our base setup is we go to your institution, we say, hey, look, we'll install this on your data. And I'm talking about patient level EMR records mostly, usually de-identified. We're a little different than like, I don't, I don't want to take your data. I, I don't want to rights to it. I don't want to resell it. I just, wherever it is, wherever it's safe and secure for you, we'll just install our agent there and that's where it'll run. And you'll ask us questions and the, the sort of initial response would be, let's answer it on, you know, uh, your patients at your institution. And oftentimes, by the way, that's important. We get a lot of questions about like the practice of medicine. Like, hey, why do we always do this this way here, right? Um, and that's important. But at times there are questions that come up that say, let's say it's an oncology question, right? You know, I may have some oncology data in my institution, but maybe not enough to look at a rare late stage oncology patient. Mm -hmm. And we, uh, we announced this week what we call the Atropo Evidence Network. Think of it as the group of institutions that are using our service, as well as others who aggregate and enrich data join the network. And if I ask a question on the network, I can ping it to whichever data set's most appropriate. So back to oncology, we have ASCO Cancer Link as a partner. They have a great uh, aggregated oncology data set. And they've also curated it, added value, NLP, things like that to enhance it. And if we get certain oncology questions, probably better to be using the ASCO data set to answer that. So we see the network as a way of providing people access to the right data at the right time 
while also keeping like the data sharing HIPAA risk really low, right? So no data is moving around, mm -hmm. you know, you keep possession of, but you're getting the answer on the best data set. And the second part of what we announced with the optical evidence network was we call our data fitness scoring solutions. So what does that mean? It's just basically a credit score for data. So when you ask a question, we've actually created an algorithm that will measure the appropriateness of a data set to that answer. Mm -hmm. And by the way, if you think about our network, you could ask the question on dozens of data sets so you can figure out which one was the best to use or if you know multiple were equivalent. And by the way, it's not always like the big one is the best or the, you know, it's, you know, the algorithm will tell you what's appropriate. It gives you confidence and faith in the answer you're getting and transparency to understand data bias. And, you know, the last piece of it is just simply when it comes time to decide between which data set to use, you can also combine analyses on multiple data sets through techniques called metadata analyses. By the way, these are really common in, for instance, European regulatory approvals, things like HDA submissions. You also hear about the Cochrane reviews, which, you know, years on after all the studies have been published, they'll go back and do these types of techniques. And we can offer that across the network, which gives you even more power and confidence in your findings. And I imagine there's a health equity piece to what you just described, right? As far as the quality of the data. I mean, if, I, if, if I'm if i an African-American patient, I probably don't want the data set from Boston that's largely white. You know, I may want the one from Mississippi that is more representative of me. Is that kind of the stuff that could be done as well from a health, health equity perspective? A hundred percent. And this happened very organically for us. You know, we had physicians saying, hey, I... I got a patient, Hawaiian Pacific Islander, you know, I'm looking at this trial that would indicate the therapy, but there were no Hawaiian Pacific Islanders. In it. Can we rerun that study on a patient population that, you know, has that background? By the way, uh, we've had huge international demand already in our young life. Uh, and it's a great use for us because honestly, uh, the data issues are more complicated with a GDPR or their sort of sovereign views on it. Um, again, we allow the data they're using there to stay there. We can also then cross the network, be able to provide access to information on those populations. And as we sit here today, we're live in Brazil, um, working down there already, uh, soon to be live in Japan and other parts of Asia Pacific. So, you know, I think the demand for this sort of personalized evidence on the right population is a global phenomenon and one I think we can serve now, uh, which is super exciting for us. Yeah. That's really interesting. And, and so are most of these questions about individual patients or can you ask questions about populations as well? Uh, both. Um, and it's, it's a bit of a mix. I'd say, yeah, I think about users and sort of what we've seen in their usage patterns. The first time they show up at our service, it's usually because they've got something sticking in their craw, you know, an idea they've been trying to test for a while, something they've seen in the clinic multiple times. Maybe it's even a research topic they're interested in. And they'll ask that. That'll be the first question. Um, they'll get the experience of using us and the speed as well as sort of the understandability. Then they start to factor it into direct patient care more and more often. And I think that's, you know, the testament to what we've designed on the user, user experience side to make that possible. But there'll always be some of it. We get questions about hospital policy, about setting drug formulary decisions, you know, and we also get our fair share of, you know, who done it's like, what does this patient have, you know, and like sending that type of question. So there's no limit on the way we can answer it. You know, we used highly published and transparent techniques that have been developed over dozens of years. And uh, we just apply the right framework based on what question is being asked. 
Interesting. Are there some use cases that are just really popular that are standing out for you that, you know, make sense? Or maybe some where you're like, hey, we got these and <laughs> they either weren't a good fit because of some reason or you didn't have the data? Yeah. So um, I would, the, the core theme of our demand is anywhere there's uh, high stakes, low evidence and expensive treatment options. <laughs> there we are. Right. So this shows up a lot in specialty care. Uh, hematology, oncology being right at the center of that, right? right? I say it so, makes sense in cancer care. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I mean, there's just not enough evidence out there because of the evolving treatment landscape. Um, there's also high stakes, you know, and the therapy is expensive. We get uh, another pocket of questions, I would say, <laughs> are more focused around, let's call it inpatient care. Um, you know, like what's the procedure order in the hospital setting? Why do we always do these five things, is that even worth it, right? And using it really to set clinical policy within uh, an institution. Um, and then we get our fair share about things like surgical and imaging, again, where, you know, there's high stakes, we really need to order this imaging for this patient, uh, you know, or is this surgical procedure gonna benefit them? So just a theme of, hey, it, wherever there's a lack of evidence and, and, you know, high expense potential, high outcome, we're there. Also, I'd say, underserved populations, health equity comes back on this, but you know the two areas we see a ton of demand, elderly care, okay? Mm -hmm. There are not clinical trials run on the elderly and geriatric populations, yet these these docs are like, I don't know, I guess we'll, we'll take what was in this trial on 35-year-olds and try and apply it here. And we know that they have, you know, usually comorbid in multiple ways, certainly have different um, metabolic and clearance pathway status, whether it's kidney function, liver function, you know, mm -hmm. on and on. So, like that's a huge area for us. Women's health, another big one. Um, you know, whether we're talking about pregnant women or women uh, in general, elderly women, postmenopausal, just a lack of evidence for, you know, current therapies there. And we're a great way to, to help on those. That's great. I love that. So, you know, you're currently sending this information. You said a day, I think your marketing materials say 48 hours. I'm sure that's conservative, you know, uh, trying to. <laughs> that's what we'll commit it. to, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's going much faster than that. Honestly, um, the speed continues to accelerate as we continue to develop the platform. Some of that is automation we talked about before related to chat models and things like that. Some of it's just sort of optimizing the framework in which we deliver it. I'd say most of the time at this point, even in a day is us scheduling time to get back on the phone with the doc and, you know, just that coordination on it. But, but by the way, people are telling us, you know, there's certain cases where you'd want to, you know, stat, like if it was really urgent uh, mm -hmm. and we'll offer that, we'll do it. We'll, we'll do a stat service in under four hours, but for most folks, two days, that's great. Um, that's faster than they're getting lab test results. Usually, um, you know, we're able to stay in pace with the sort of the, the process of care. It is interesting. I think we possibly don't realize, probably because Hollywood's ruined us, right? That when they come in, you have cancer, let's get them on the bed, let's operate, let's do, you know, like in, you know, in an hour show, you have to get quick, right? And so, you know, I, I remember, uh, you know, that uh, I had an incident where there was potential for cancer. And we went to Hawaii. They were like, because we were going for a month to live there for a bit. And they're like, we'll call you and let you know. And so we're in Hawaii and they didn't call us at all for 30 days, right? And we're like, wait a minute, we get back. It turns out it wasn't cancer. It was something else. But, you know, like, I think if it was cancer, maybe they had called us. I don't know. But it was, I think we misunderstand how quickly certain things have to be addressed or not, which is, uh, you know, it sounds like that's what you've experienced as well. I, 
Yeah, 100%. And our, our job is to make the physician's life easy. You know, like our, our service, you know, one way of looking at user experience, look at net promoter score. You know, our net promoter score is consistently in the 40 to 50 range. Just to put that in context, the highest health technology uh, score out there is usually 17 or 18. I mean, we've built bad tech for our physicians. Let's just be honest. Uh, whereas our service is in the range of like a Nike, right? So we think that user experience actually has measurable benefit, right? Because you're able to enable somebody to bring this in easily and factor in their decision-making, meet or improve their timing. So the term we use is speed to value. You know, if you're thinking about trying to even even optimize costs or outcomes at a hospital, you need a way to do it where you're empowering your workforce and not adding time or process or roadblocks to it. And so we actually think some of the benefit in terms of ROI we see is because of that easy use and speed. We think it's really critical. The other thing, you know, I when I tell, you know, when I'm at the Thanksgiving dinner table and I tell my uncle who's in another business what I do, you know, people are sort of blown away. Um, maybe they shouldn't be, but I think they are that like, they're like, wait, when I go in to see my doctor, he's not, you know, reviewing data on millions of patients and producing a custom report for me. I'm like, <laughs> they assume it's no, happening. <laughs> they're exactly. not doing that. And and the funny part about that is as consumers, we're so used to that in every other part of our lives. Like if you went to buy car insurance, you'd get a more analytically powered answer than you do in most uh, physicians' offices. So I just think like, you know, the we and we see some demand from patients. Our, our position right now is to, you know, say, hey, uh, refer us to your physician. We love it if they ordered. You know, we want that physician in the loop on care. But I think people should be demanding this, you know, and understanding um, the way they experience the complexity and delays of a healthcare system is often because, you know, the care is not being designed for them. We think it can be. Um, and, and we love to support that that evolution. Yep. Well, Brigham, this is fascinating technology uh, and, and a fascinating approach to giving doctors more evidence to be able to make uh, better care decisions. So appreciate you taking time to share this and I can't wait to see how it all continues to evolve and improve. And thanks everyone for watching and listening. If you want to find more great healthcare IT content like this, be sure to check it out at healthcareittoday.com or search for Healthcare IT Today on your favorite podcasting application. Thanks, Brigham. Thanks, John. Appreciate it.